Tribute Pod Production. Trigger warning the following episode contains discussion about child sexual abuse, drug use, and self harm. If you need to talk to someone, please call Braveheart Support Line on 1800 272 831 Monday to Friday, 8 30 a.m. to 4 30 p.m. Australian Eastern Time or Lifeline 24 hours 131114. It is a very warm welcome to the Bravehearts Triple Seven Marathon, Australia's mightiest running podcast. Episode four, the nerves are high at the moment too, with the Triple Seven just around the corner, but I cannot wait to see all the hard work come to fruition for everyone involved. This is the last episode for the series this year. We've had so much fun putting all of these episodes together and speaking to the great people involved in this prestigious event. It is only fitting that we hear from a previous runner who is definitely running with purpose. David Newen is our guest today and is the perfect candidate for Legend of the Year. Now, this episode deals with some pretty heavy content. But the reason for that is in all three previous episodes, the constant theme was to ensure that we talk about and we keep talking about child sexual abuse to raise awareness and knowledge about a serious topic that a lot of people shy away from. David walks us through his journey and the reality of life as a child sexual assault victim and survivor. This episode is undoubtedly raw and honest, but what I love about David's story is the strength and empowerment in his thought process. It hasn't always been that way, but to hear where David is mentally now is honestly so inspiring. So without further delay, I would like to welcome Dave. Welcome, Dave, to the Bravehearts Triple Seven Marathon Podcast. Thank you. Thank you. Perfect. Well, I'm I'm very excited to speak to you, David. And it's uh it's an absolute pleasure to have you on the podcast. We start every podcast uh for the Bravehearts Triple Seven Marathon with a couple of stats with your running stats. Now, I I'm gonna really enjoy the contrast here between uh, between Galaxy's stats and yours, but and Jess's. But uh how many marathons have you run, mate, in total in in your whole life? Uh just the two. Just the two. And so that was during the triple sevens week saying. So, um yeah, I got I got injured during the week sale, which I'll probably talk about more. A bit later, but I managed to kind of complete two full marathons, which I'm quite proud yeah. of, d- despite the fact that Glax has probably ran about 300 odd. Because I think I'm very new to running, so I've, I've only been introduced to running when I kind of was aware about Braveheart. So I was very new to running, and I think about uh, two years or about a year and a half prior to that, I was training for the the state league for in 2018, and I could barely run 800 meters. So I was quite proud that I was able to run the two full yeah. marathons. And yeah, like it's. Yeah, so it's awesome. Two, two, two. Yeah, two. and so what's the longest distance you've ever run? Is it is it the marathon distance forty two point? Yes, no. So I think we we were in Gold Coast, and I remember being in Gold Coast. I was high fiving all the kids along the um. So rather than running like a straight leg, I was kind of doing lots of zigzags. So I think I ran about forty four <laughs> k's that day. So I was like, <laughs> it's like an ultra marathon, right? It's anything more than forty two point two is an ultra marathon. I think that's so, it. That's it. You did an ultra. So I've done one marathon and one ultra marathon. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That's yeah. it. That's awesome. It sounds better. Surely then your favorite was the Gold Coast. If that's how you were finishing, that's got to be your favorite. Yeah, it was because had, I had the kids there. I had the two kids there. My wife was there at the finishing line. I'm a very slow runner. So I think by the time we finished, my kids kind of jumped the barricade and the, the organizers like, there's, there's no one else here. So you can run with him to the end if you want. So they ran the last K with me, which is which was awesome. Oh. Yeah, that is, yeah. It was, it was quite special actually. So until my son was tired and I had to pick him up and take him to me like the, to the finish line with me. I'm like, that's ran seven days around the country and you want me to pick you how, up? Like, how emotions can change from going like, oh, this is such a special moment to, oh, are you kidding me, man? <laughs> you can run yourself. That's so good. Uh, th- there's a couple more questions like how many triple sevens you complete? That's two. What's your favorite leg? We're going to say the Gold Coast, very similar to your marathon. And then how many triple sevens you completed? Uh, how many have you done being a state runner and doing the national legs? Um, so I, I, my first state run was in 2018. So that was when I was introduced to the whole concept of the Braveheart's triple sevens, I suppose. I remember after I'm thinking, cause I, I did a half marathon for 2018. I was like, I'm never running again. Cause I couldn't feel my legs. 
mm-hmm. afterwards. And then Jess, well, like the amazing organizing worker there, she's like, why don't you come back to be a national runner next year? I'm like, I can't feel my legs now. So yeah, no chance. So, um, but then ever since it then became a national runner, I'm generally to kind of do Sydney and Canberra just so I can kind of hang out with the crew. I suppose ever since that, I was just all of a sudden Sydney and Canberra after that. So do you still run... Uh, I always try to do runs here and there, but yeah, I always try to maintain. I think I think running's become like cross-based therapy for me. Yeah. As much as I have a love-hate relationship, it kind of just allows me to switch off and process the stuff that I need to process. And because if I don't, the world's just too crazy for me to be able to give my own time. And I suppose running's my my own kind of therapy that allows me to process the stuff that I need to process, I suppose. So I still try to run, you know, 10Ks here and there and, and then I always freak out. Oh my God, Braveheart is coming up. I need to up my Ks and pretend like I can run a bit. Try to keep up with yeah. Jess and then, yeah. So my, my thing's always saying hello to the guys at the beginning. And then once the gun takes off, I... That's it. I'm gone. I don't see him ever again because they're too good. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's important though to have like that reset and button. I'm very similar in the way that running is very therapeutic, but I, I'm not good enough for it not to hurt yet. Well, yeah. No matter what the what the length, so but it is definitely you get a bit of a was a bit of a clear head after it, which is which is awesome. You mentioned that you started with Bravehearts in 2018. What kind of drew you into the Triple Seven, being a state runner to start with? Um, I actually met this guy through. There was a guy on social media I was following, so he became he was a national runner for Bravehearts in 2017. Mm-hmm. He's a survivor of child sexual assault himself. So he did the run, and then he wanted to do this crazy thing about I think fifty thousand burpees just to raise awareness so he's a he's a natural kind of he's an ultra marathon runner um and what he used to do was you know do his run do his training runs drop his bag off at like you know one of the local parks and have a sign that doing saying i do burpees to raise awareness for child sexual assault mm-hmm. and i kind of found him on social media by that time i hadn't shared my story publicly yet and it was just posting a lot of his own kind of struggles and triumphs and it was easy kind of understanding my my trauma through his words because I couldn't find the words myself yet, I suppose. Mm-hmm. And I just reached out to him via email saying, thank you so much for posting your raw emotions because without even realizing I've got the same emotions, but I've never been able to articulate that. Mm-hmm. And then we kind of met up and just kind of started talking about our own stories. And he said, why didn't you do this Bravehearts? Like Bravehearts have got this charity run called the Triple Sevens. You can run 7Ks, 14Ks or 21Ks. We can run it together. And just you might be exposed to people that you've never met before. I'm like, oh, yeah, okay, we could do 7Ks together. And that's how I kind of was aware about the the Triple Sevens. And I kind of signed up to do, a, I think, 7Ks initially. I was like, oh, let's do 14Ks. And I was like, oh, let's do a half marathon and started training for that. And then we started talking more about, you know, just our own stories. And I kind of said to my wife, like, I think I want to go public with my story. And she's like, really? I'm like, yeah. I said, so I'm just going to post it on Facebook. And she's like, you do realize that your mom's on Facebook. I'm like, shit, yeah, that's true. And she's like, you do realize you haven't spoken to mom about this yet. I'm like, shit, that's true as well. Um, she's like, maybe have a conversation with her before you just post that. I've been yeah. sexually assaulted. Oh, crap. That's going to be a big conversation. So, yeah. Yeah, because prior to that moment, um, I knew my wife knew about it. I hadn't told anybody. My wife and I have been together for about 21 years now. So I was, yeah. I told her quite early into our relationship. Yeah thinking that she was just kind of, it was getting serious. I told her because I was scared it was getting serious. And I think by me telling her, I was like, well, if she hangs around after knowing this, then she's a good catch, you know? Yeah, yeah. And she stuck around, which is good because <laughs> for, you know, 14 odd years now. So. Was your wife the first person that you told ab- about your experience? Yeah, she was. She was. She was the first person I told. And I didn't give much details. I just kind of told her what happened because it's it's impacting all aspects of my life, you know, relationship-wise, me trusting people, me being closed up. So, yeah, I kind of needed to explain to her why I was so closed and so not giving as much as I should have given to the relationship. And that's yeah. that was one of the main reasons, I suppose. You, uh, you mentioned that you wanted to go public with your story. And I'm really fascinated by this. And if you don't mind, I'd love to ask you a few yeah, questions about course, that. Please. How old were you when you decided to go public with your story? Um, so it's 2018. So I would have been, yeah, 38. So I was, I was eight when, when I was sexually like, yeah, sexually assaulted. So it's about, yeah, took 30 years, I suppose, to disclose mm. that. Publicly, yeah. And how was that discussion with your mum? Because obviously that's a massive step too. 
Yeah, it's was a that Xinjiang. A hard... So my, my background is social work and I've always worked in child protection and I've done some charity lunches for, for Grey Fuzz just through work. And yeah, I, I remember kind of saying to her like, you know, I'm a social worker, you know, I do a lot of work for yeah, child sexual assault, gave her the stats about child sexual assault. Um, and I kind of just said to her like, oh, before I even kind of say anything, like I just want you to know that it's not your fault. I don't blame you for anything that's happened. And just basically told her that, you know, when I was eight years old, this happened. Um, mm-hmm. that's, I, don't want, I don't want to talk about, I don't want to let you know who the person was because mm. it doesn't matter anymore. Like, and I want you to, and I can see her processing who was actually, who she was hanging around at that time. Mm. And just basically told her, and I was shit scared because my mum's like a very old traditional mum. With the mate's mum, where I didn't know how she was going to react, basically. I didn't know if she was going to believe me or blame me for it, or, you know. Mm. So that was my biggest fear that she'll blame me for, for the incident or for what happened. Yeah, I just remember telling her that it had, had happened. And, um, it's, and that's the reason why I was so distant as a child and as an adolescent, mm. and, you know, why it's impact on our relationship growing up as well. But, you know, I'm okay now. Like, I'm okay now. I've got Jess, I've got the kids, I'm happy. This was part of my healing as far as to be able to talk about it. Yeah, I just remember hugging her, her hugging me and just saying that, you know, like she's sorry that she loves me and she's proud of me. Yeah, that was done stuff there. Oh, that's so good. Yeah, that's that, awesome. that really allowed me to go the extra steps and allowed me to kind of do what I've been doing now with with my story because without that, with that, that support from mum and, you know, my family and especially my wife, like I wouldn't have, because the, the, the plan was never to go public. It just happened. It just happened. And it's just, it's happened on steroids, to be honest. But it's the plan was never to go, <laughs> to go public about anything, to be honest. Yeah. So it just happened. Yeah. yeah. And that in itself was really interesting with the, uh, with your friend who did the burpees. What, what is it that resonated with his message that kind of encouraged you to then go public with your story? And the reason I say that is because I would believe that you would be that person for other people who might have been a survivor as well. So. Yeah, what was it in his message that really resonated with yourself? His, his, his big message was just regaining control back in your life. Mm. I never had control. Like I never felt like I had any form of control because I couldn't control when I was sexually assaulted. I couldn't control how I was sexually assaulted. And then obviously after the, the after effects of being sexually assaulted, like suicidal ideations, the drug use, all that kind of stuff growing up was, was always out of my control. Mm. And I never, and I kind of got to the point where I blocked all emotions, you know, positive and happy and negative to the point where I just was numb with everything. Mm. So I couldn't find the words to even describe my anger or my hatred towards myself. I was just numb. Reading his stories just kind of like, oh my God, that's like my, that's how I feel. It was like the voice for my own feelings. And it was, the more I read his story, the more. I was like, I need to release this emotion out so I can be the best version that I can be for mm. my wife and for my kids. And, you know, as much as I thought I was okay with it, I wasn't like, I was completely broken by, you know, the experience of being sexually assaulted. And I was just pretending to be okay because it's easier to pretend to be okay than be this happy person and not, not allow people to see that you're broken. And, but then mm. I realized that, no, I am still pretty broken. I've never, I've never dealt with it, never saw a counselor for it, never spoke about it. So how can I be this, the best husband that I can be or be the best father I can be if I'm still broken? Um, so I think that message and then me wanting to be the best version I could be for my family just really pushed me to like I need to really get my shit together basically and, and trying to deal with this if, like if I want to be the best version that I can be but I, th- I think it's really significant too that the first two people that you disclosed to that you spoke about being a survivor was that they were like a hundred percent arms around you supporting you through it I think that's yeah. really yeah yeah so once I kind of told my mum I was like okay let's let's post something on Facebook let's let's sign up let's give myself a bit of caribou and sign up for the become a state runner so I signed up to become a state runner I kind of spoke to my wife about how we're going to go about doing this and then we wrote like a bit of a blurb about you know my story and it's more about raising awareness is more like as much as I wanted to fundraise it's more about raising awareness you know just to have the conversation about child sexual assault because it's such a taboo topic that nobody talks about and I I was encouraging my friends to kind of ask me questions about it because the more we talk about it, the more it becomes a normal conversation. Like I need people to be able to support me with this process, I suppose. Um, so I dropped that in my Facebook 
went for a run. Was it a long run? I, I wanted to. I wanted to, but my brain was going like I wanted to do like a 15K run, like a 10, 15K run. But then after 2Ks, I looped back thinking, I can't, I can't even walk. Right? I, I struggled to walk because I was just so drained from it. Was, it was fear. I was, I was scared of it. I was actually scared of how people would react to it. Okay. Uh, it wasn't, it was a big load of my chest, but it was also fear that shit, people were going to see how broken I am now or. Well, like you're vulnerable, right? Yeah. Yeah. So it was a big fear from that sense. So I came back and um, my phone was just going nuts. Like my phone was going nuts with text messages and, and I, didn't, I didn't read it for a couple of days. I remember within like um, about a week of me posting that I had raised about $3,000 just from people supporting me. And, and then I think I eventually raised about $4,500. Now that I've read the messages, just people thinking, but like, we didn't expect this to I didn't expect this at all. I'm like, well, that's the problem. Like, you don't expect it. People have seen me as this positive, goofy, like, you know, funny person. But behind that is a person that has really struggled with the legacy of being sexually assaulted. And that's why we need to have this conversation. This is why I've gone public. This is why I wanted to educate you about mental health and um, my struggles so you know, people can understand and people can have these conversations with their own kids. And and that's why, and, and that's probably the biggest reasons why it attracted me to Brave Hearts, the whole concept of, um, you know, educate, empower, and protect, you know, and it's, it's something that's so important that sometimes I kind of think to myself that if I had those educational classes that, it, that Brave Hearts provided as a kid, you know, would I have the confidence to speak up about it? And like, who knows? I don't know the answer to it, but it will mm. give you that confidence to be able to do so. Um, give parents the confidence to be able to talk to the kids about, you know, child safety. Like that makes a big difference and we need to talk about that stuff. I kind of wanted to bring that up as well because the, I suppose the world that you were trying to deal with this is very different to the world it is now. Like, yeah. um, there's, there was a, a lot more of a stigma about everything in that yeah, kind of was. situation. There was. Is now there's a lot more resources for yeah. People who were sexually abused to go to, to for more education, for parents, for everything like yeah. that. Obviously, you alluded to drug use and closing off because you were trying to handle this by yourself. How was that experience for you trying to kind of deal with that all on your own? It, it would have been very isolating, I would imagine. Yeah, it was. it's just hard to process as an eight-year-old. Like my daughter's nine now. My son's um, seven and I just kind of sometimes look at their lives thinking that was the age that happened to me. Like how the hell wow. did I get through that? Like how the hell did I, how am I here today still trying to manage what I kind of stuff as an eight-year-old, you know, like my son just yeah. wants to play tablet when he comes home from school. That's also, that's the child innocence that comes out and to think to myself, like how did I come back from school thinking that shit, when am I going to get sexually assaulted next or shit like, you know, when's this going to happen again or like, and that whole, like, it's just my fault. And like, obviously I was groomed to kind of make sure that, you know, I didn't tell anybody and that kind of stuff. So it was hard. Like it was actually quite, it was hard. Very, very isolating, very hard. I was very closed off from a lot of people. Didn't let anybody come close to me because, and then if adults did come close to me, I was just thinking, oh, cool. This person's going to sexually assault me as well because it's my norm now. It's my new norm now. For, for yeah, it's like trained. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, it was hard, Mitch, to be honest. It was, it was very, yeah. very hard. And that was kind of like my childhood years. And, you know, I, I still remember my wife even um, asking me questions like, you know, so did your parents play you know, Elton John growing up? I'm like, I don't remember my childhood, to be honest. Like, I've blocked it away so much that I just don't recall any childhood memories, whether it be positive or negative. And it's only been recently now that, you know, when I've gone through therapy and I'm more open about processing that, that I actually start remembering bits and pieces of, oh, I remember this is a kid growing up, but this is what my yeah. parents used to do. And then, the yeah. good times, right? The good like, times, yeah, yep. the good times. Because there were a lot of good times as well. It's not to kind mm. of say my whole childhood was doom and gloom. There were a lot of good times. I just can't remember them as much as like, obviously the bad times. But as the years have gone by, it's, it's getting more. Those positive memories have flooded back now. And I kind of look at those like, oh, yeah, I remember going to Expo in 88. Like, that was a cool time. <laughs> In Queensland back in the day, and yeah, yeah. So. <laughs> yeah, that's yeah, that's awesome. And kind of to lift the curtain behind the behind the scenes, you and I have shared a couple of emails, and basically just obviously getting to know each other so we can have this conversation. And then in our emails, you were saying that you were in a the position of strength and power. What was the process in order for you to get to that kind of mindset where you're you are 
strong and you are really proud of the person that you are. The, the state leg actually did a lot for me because as much as like, so, you know, obviously shared my story during that when I was a state runner in 2018. And it was through, it was through social media. So I was typing stuff away, typing my raw emotions out of the way um, and just press enter and that's it. I go off and go for my run. I don't read the comments. It was, it was fine. Like it was easy because I was still very protected by- In your little bubble. Yeah, but the bubble. And then I remember going to the state there thinking, holy shit, man, this is the first time I've gone, I'm actually public out there and Bravehearts helped me. Bravehearts um, like allowed me to do a couple of articles, like newspaper articles for them, a couple of radio interviews. Um, so they really gave me a platform to use my voice and to help me heal and to kind of go public with my story too. On steroids, you know, which was again wasn't the plan. Um, <laughs> but then I remember actually rocking up to to participate as a state runner, thinking people are going to see how broken and how dirty I am because I felt dirty. Like I've just felt like people know that I'm, I'm a sexual assault survivor victim. I was, I was still a victim, I suppose. People are going to see that, and they're going to see me being dirty and be me being used. And like it wasn't a great experience running initially because I just felt dirty. I felt people were looking at me and judging me. Because, okay. yeah, I just felt like I was just, and that's, that's kind of the legacy of what my abuser was kind of telling me. So that yeah. kind of came back in massive floods. Um, and I remember running and I remember meeting the other national runners, like seeing the other national runners doing their thing. And um, I kind of had knew that there was a, a handful of survivors doing the run. Um, and Jimmy, Jimmy Morrison, who was the guy that did the burpees, he ran with me the whole 21Ks. Um, so oh, we were man. chatting on quite a fair bit. And my wife was running with me as well. Oh, um, that's awesome. And the more we ran, the more I was like, I'm actually not alone in this. Like there's actually mm. other survivors that I can see and I can kind of see them doing the run, see them struggle, but see them push through and still run. And as much as the triple sevens is about the, the running challenge mm. and as much as it's a metaphor of like, I just saw them that they were struggling, but they were just pushing themselves and just moving forward all the time. There's actually real people out here who are in the same situation as me. And I'm not actually, I'm actually not alone anymore. Like I've actually got a whole new family that I can kind of turn to for support mm. and I'm no longer alone anymore. And just seeing that and just seeing them do their run and then finishing and then being flooded by just absolutely the love from, you know, the, the Bravehearts crew and the other national runners who I'd never met and they didn't know my story prior to meeting me and just giving me encouragement to say, oh my God, you've just read a half marathon. I'm like, I have, like I have. And mm. the people who knew my story just embraced me and just showed me so much love. And that's why, it's, that's why I'll be forever grateful for the Bravehearts family and, and what they do, that did, they did for me and, and do for like, you know, thousands of other kids out there. So mm. that's probably when I felt like I'm, I'm never going to be alone ever again. So the one group that is the least judgmental from what I'm finding will be that national runners group for Bravehearts. They, Seem yeah. like they get around everybody and are a real loving and compassionate group that kind of just gel together and make sure everyone feels safe, no matter the background. I, I, yeah. I love that. I really love yeah. that. And you said it's spot on. Like they, they made me feel safe. By the sounds of is a really hard thing to do. Yeah. Yeah, it was. And they made me feel safe knowing my story made me feel part of this new family that I can always draw upon. And that's, and that's probably the main reason why I signed up to, to be the national runner that like, let's just keep this momentum going and yeah. And just, just, just do it seven times over, I suppose. <laughs> that's one. That's just one day. Imagine if I did it for seven days. How awesome would this be? Oh, so then yeah, I signed up no. and then it was just in that. And then it just became, yeah, it was a big year, big, Good and bad, like I suppose, yeah. I don't know if I'm speaking out of turn, but I feel like your wife is an absolute legend. Oh, she's um, she's she's my like, yeah. I I I can't even describe how I I wouldn't be here. I, I honestly would not be here. And like, it sounds drastic, but you know, I've said lots of thoughts, thoughts of self harming, and you know, spiraled into pretty bad drug use. Um, and I met her and, and told her my story, and she's just has always unconditionally loved me and. Never felt like, never made me feel that I was broken or, um, and just gave me a sense of hope and belief that I'm more worthy than what I kind of give myself credit for. And, um, she's done that from the day to and she continues to do that on a daily basis, to be honest. So mm. it, everyone kind of gives me credit for, like, you're so strong, you're so inspirational. Dave. I'm not, my wife is, and she's allowed me to be this person. And 
Yeah. So yeah. yeah, thanks for mentioning that. Yeah. That's awesome. And it's awesome that you've, that you found someone like that that just loves you unconditionally and wants to support yeah. you through whatever it is. Cause it's That's a big so sacrifice. Cool. Like it was a big sacrifice for her uh, when I did the run and it's been a big sacrifice in general because yeah, it's taken a lot to build me to this point, you know? So, yeah. So that was kind of where I wanted to go next was, uh, you went from only, uh, basically your wife knowing to then your mum and then going public on Facebook. And then you, were uh, as you stated, it basically went like steroids. It just went boom. And you were doing radio interviews and, uh, news articles on it and that kind of stuff. Had you, you mentioned that you went to therapy. Was that before or after going public with your story? It was before. Yeah, I went to city council because it, it wasn't. Um, and I, I, even, I remember kind of telling her that I'm never going to tell my mom, I'm never going to go public with it. And I remember reaching out to her when I did go public. I was like, oh, by the way, like she, I remember she called me back after about six months just to kind of see how I was going. Like, she's mm. like, yeah, things are going well. So my mom knows about it now. Went public with it. Uh, <laughs> I've done some newspaper articles. <laughs> She's like, what? I'm like, yeah. What? Jeez, I'm good. She's like, you've, done a, you've been like, yeah, been, been going back to child protection. So, yeah. So she's like, wow. I'm like, yeah, it just happened. It just happened. I think that's really significant. Well, the aspect that I think is significant is the decision to go to therapy because I, I know it's very generalized comment, but men obviously find it hard to admit that they need to do something until sometimes it's too late. I suppose, was was there a point in time where you're like, no, I actually need to speak to someone to try and Yeah, I just, I just had to be honest with myself. Like I just, I was so good at pretending to be this imposter, I suppose. Like I wasn't, so I, I kind of had like two lives, I suppose. That, the Dave that people saw publicly, which was the happy, carefree, relaxed, positive. And I kind of did that on purpose because I didn't want people to realize that I was actually a child sexual assault victim and survivor, you know? Mm. Um, so I publicly put on this facade that if I pretend to be this positive person, nobody's going to even think that I've had this other stuff going on, which is a good thing because I don't want, to, they, they want anybody to know about it. So I lived that kind of double life for, for a long time. And then I think when I had the kids, it's, it's probably when I started realizing that I can't be this person. You know, I, can't, I want my kids to be true to themselves. I want them to have this, the child innocence that they, every kid deserves. And, and I, had to be, I had to be honest with myself that it's completely controlled my life for 30 years. I've been a different person for 30 years. I just need to regain control back and take that power back from my abuser. And, and that was, I suppose, uh, telling my story publicly was my first attempt to kind of regain that control back, I suppose. And I think the more I talk about it, and every time I have opportunities to talk to you know yourself, Mitch, and other people about it, the more I talk about it, the more I regain that control back from my abuser. And um, it's like the ripple effect. If one person hears this, they might have a conversation with their family and friends and that's like 10 mm. people and then they have their conversation and it becomes 100 people. Imagine everybody starts talking about child sexual assault. Like how, how good of a world would that be when people can publicly talk about that stuff and possibly prevent something from happening to kids? And I think that's probably one of the main reasons why I did go public there. Yeah, I wanted to break the, the stigma of child sexual assault. I wanted to kind of have make the conversation normalized. But honestly, I just don't want, like, I just didn't want another kid to experience what I had to experience as a kid myself. Mm. And if my story helps that, then it's worth all the scars that I've had to kind of put publicly out there as well. So, Is it somewhat cathartic every time you tell your story or do, does it sometimes bring up memories and kind of it does it still does like I still I don't get flashbacks as much as before and if I do get flashbacks now I kind of laugh at it thinking not laugh at it like I'm like cool flashbacks here let's process it whereas before it was like cool flashback crap three months of just depression sort of thing and I was like oh flashback this is I haven't done this for a while okay let's process it that's, that's yeah. taken a long time that's taken like 30 years to get to that point um, so sometimes when I talk about it I get sad because I get sad that it's actually happened but I've got to the point now where I don't have anger or don't have any, like, you know, I've kind of recently posted stuff and like I remember doing this speech um, in the book launch saying that, um, and like a, a speech when I, I did a charity lunch when, um, when I was a national, I had a charity lunch and had, you know, 200 of my closest family and friends there. And um, at the end, I kind of said, like, you know, I, I forgave my abuser. And then I was like, why the hell would you forgive someone who sexually abused you, you know? Yeah. Yep. Um, like, why would you say that? I'm like, I'm not going to have a beer with him. 
Um, but I, you know, I wanted to be able to tell my story from a place of positivity and hope and not anger because I was angry for 30 years. Like I was angry mm. for 30 years and that anger was because he made me angry. And so everything that I did 30 years prior to that was just to try to prove to him that, you know, I was happy or prove to him that I was okay and prove to him that I can be successful, prove to him that I am worthy. The initial years was me hating him, me hating what he did and then me hating my life. And every time I was angry, I was angry with myself, making myself think about him again and think about what he did for me again. So I was like, well, I need to change that narrative. I need to really change that narrative and hopefully come from a place of forgiveness um, and acceptance. And yeah. if I accept that it's happened, I accept that it wasn't my fault and accept that it was only his fault that he was the one that was perpetrating this violence towards me, that if I come from a place where I'm able to tell my story from a place of joy and positivity, that's my ultimate victory. Mm. My ultimate victory is showing that I don't care what you did to me. Like I'm still strong. I'm still standing. I'm still here now. And what you did to me hasn't broken me. It's actually just given me more food to be more happy. So I, I needed to forgive him. I needed to forgive myself first. And then I needed to forgive him. And now that I tell my story, it comes, I'm hoping it comes from a place of hope and joy as opposed to like poor me sort of thing. Um, and not everybody, I don't expect everybody to agree with that or um, to accept that, but that's just kind of the way I needed to kind of... Yeah, you know, gain that control back. I suppose. Yeah, as you said, every every story is different. Every person is different. But as long as you own your story and can process that in the way that uh, you can be the best version of yourself, then that is fantastic. Like that is yeah, that is that's awesome. That's really awesome. Have you come into contact with anyone who has heard your story and then spoken to you about it? Uh, or yeah. about their own story. Like, have you done what Jimmy did for you to someone else? So I, I remember when I be like when I shared my story and became a national runner. And you know, brave, again, Braveheart sort of gave me the opportunity to use my story and give my voice. And they were very open with sharing my my story as well. When I shared my story on social media, I was flooded with phone calls and messages from my own family and friends about this actually happened to me as well. Um, yeah, okay. Just from my own circle of friends. And yeah. the, the more the fundraising happened, I got messages from people around the state about their own stories as well. So when I when we were able to go to different states, people would come up like, hi, I'm such and such. I should, like, I reached out to you. I'm like, oh my God, like, thank you so much for reaching out and mm. sharing your own stories. So during that year, Mitch, I, 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 I actually stopped counting after the 50th person that shared the story. Um, and that's just, that's just one year of me doing that fundraising. I had over mm. 50 family and friends and people that I haven't met, but are now very close to share their own stories or their own trauma. Like I'm proud of that, but I'm also sad that it's, it's happened to mm. other people as well, but I'm I'm glad that I was able to help them with their own journey of mm. of telling someone because it's not about going public with it. It's just about speaking to somebody about it. Yeah, you know, it's not about yep. sharing it to a wide scale. It's about just having a conversation with someone that you trust and someone that you feel comfortable with, and that might be and that's enough for a lot of people. And that's 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 amazing to be able to do that. Or even just having the courage to allow you to process it yourself. You know, it's, it's not about telling everybody because it's it's a big step to take. But um, if if you're able to take that step, then that's kind of the first step of regaining that control back of your life as well. Well, look at the impact of just talking to Jimmy about it and him having his story. And you having the same emotions straight away, that's just opened whole flood of really positive changes in your life that have really impacted you yeah. in a positive way, which is yeah. great. And you having that impact on 50 people is amazing. Yeah, I, I, yeah thank you. Thank you. I remember during the charity lunch and when I first did it, because it was just a way of fundraising for obviously to raise a $10,000 and I'm thinking, I'll sell some tickets. My family and friends will rock up. That's about 30 tickets. That'd be cool. I could do it for 30 people. And at that point, it was all like through social media. Mm. Um, and I remember, I, I honestly remember as a kid growing up, that was my dream. Uh, I used to kind of replay this image in my head where I'd stood up in front of my family and friends and told my story. That was yep. like a dream that I would, I always dreamed about, but never thought that would happen because I would never oh, wow. get happy with my story. And I used to replay that over and over again in my yeah. head growing up. And then when it finally happened, it was like, okay, babe, let's, let's organize a charity match. She's like, are you sure? You, are you ready? I'm like, I don't know if I'm ready for it, but let's just organize a charity match and see where it takes mm. us, you know? And again, within weeks, within a couple of weeks, like we sold 200 tickets. 
um, and like they bring and then realize and then all my close family and friends, people who I've never met and through social media have attended this lunch. I said to them like, let's like I'm going to do a speech and share my story. And then there, there was kids there from like you know, my like from five year olds to teenagers to you know young adults. I was like, oh my god, these kids can these kids are actually going to hear my story as well. And I remember after the lunch, um, you know, my friends who were like the older kids were like, Dave, we came home from that charity lunch and we talked about child sexual assault. We talked about if you ever feel unsafe, please talk to us. Please talk to Uncle Dave. Please talk to your teachers. Please talk to us because if you ever feel uncomfortable at anything, you need to talk to us about it. I'm like, oh my God, that's the biggest, that's why I'm doing this. This is why I'm doing this too. For my friends who are adults, but also their kids to be exposed. And I had like kids who were like 12 years old that during the last day came up to me and giving me a hug saying, Uncle Dave, like, thank you so much for sharing that story. Like, you know, I'm like, call me kids. Like, I love guys. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, but that's ground zero, right? Is the conversation being had across the board. That's that's kind of what needs to be had. I need to tell you this story, Mitch. Um, yeah. So like, like I kind of mentioned that I got injured during the leg. So as much as I think it was unrealistic for me to do seven full marathons, that was the plan. Which I love. You're like, I'm so unprepared, but I am yeah. in. <laughs> I'm doing this it. and I'm running. Let's just rock up and see how we go. Yep. Um, so I remember going to Perth and like was able to complete like, a full marathon in Perth, which is crazy because 42k is when he runs 42k for fun. It's right? a long way. <laughs> it's um, a long so way. So did that, did the 42k's in Perth. I think it took about five and a half hours or something. And then we had to fly from Perth to Adelaide. Yeah, like I'd, I'd done a lot of K's training up to that. Did no like strength work, and I remember flying from Perth and getting off at Adelaide Airport. And I was like, a, uh, I forgot how long the flight was, but when I got off the plane, my leg was just swollen with fluid. Um, oh, I just no. couldn't put any pressure on it. And then saw the physio, saw um, Medic Mac, and he's like, just sleep and see how you go in the morning. Wake up in the morning, still pretty swollen. So I remember kind of taking off and I just couldn't put any pressure on my legs at all. Yeah. Um, and, you know, like with the legs, you start off, everyone starts running and I kind of knew I couldn't run. So I had to walk. So the first kind of um, few cases was just walking. We started at six o'clock in the morning. So everything was dark. So by the time people look back, it's a good half an hour or so before people look back. And I remember I couldn't, I couldn't walk at all. And then I was like, this is shit, man. This is like day two. Like I can't walk. Yeah. I can't do anything. And my old version came back off. Like and like I could hear my abuser saying, "Sucked in, man. I, just, I knew you couldn't do this. Like why are you kidding yourself and thinking oh. that you can do seven marathons for? Like I told you you're worthless. Like I told you this is a further proof that you are shit. That you are worthless and you're nobody. And that was my mind space for mm. a good half an hour. And I was messaging my wife saying, "I'm injured, but I can't walk. Like I'm I'm so sorry for." You've pretended to be this strong person and I'm not, I'm so sorry. Like, and, and then she was kind of telling me off <laughs> through, through messages oh, saying, she's the best. Don't be a freaking idiot. Like you are with you. All that kind of stuff. So it's like, I'm not yeah. like, I'm shit. And I remember walking past one of the cafes that was still closed and I was just saw a reflection of like sitting there boiling my eyes. I'm thinking, this is my ultimate test. This is my ultimate test to see how I respond to to this situation and I just was boarding my eyes out and you know within that half an hour I was like oh, it had all these like I'm just going to bloody I'm just going to go back to drug use I'm just going to do this again so that whole victim yeah, came back right um, and then Jeez, that was like, a quick spiral it was a massive spiral massive spiral and then I remember as as people looped back the national runners kind of looped back um, and actually Peter was probably one of the first guys that kind of saw me obviously yeah conversations prior to to that run about our own stories and he just kind of gave me a big hug saying mate like you can, you're strong right? you're, you can do this and take your time and do what you need to do but just know that we're here for you you know um and he gave me a big hug and a few other national runners like steph um who was one of the national runners gave me a big hug and jess was there and like they all just kind of picked me up just reminded me like i've got my this i've got my new family now this is my new narrative this is my new life where i can turn to people and that kind of quickly changed and i kind of said to myself well i can't there's no way i'm going to run so why don't i loop back to the tent and this is probably about five k's after just hobbling loop back to the tent and get my national like we, you get like a jumper as a national runner so I wore that and i'm like i'll just continue walking as much as i can and i'm just hobbling away and as I'm hobbling, I met this kind of, um, this older couple was just standing on the sidelines saying, like, are you okay? And I'm like, oh, just not really, but I'll be okay. 
um, mm. as I'm wiping my tears away. Um, <laughs> and then um, it's just like, why don't you just sit down and have a bit of a break? I'm like, that's a good idea because I can't feel my legs anymore. So, um, so I sat down and started talking to them. I'm like, oh, do you mind if I just continue walking slowly? Because if I sit down, I might get back up again. It's like, yeah, no worries. We'll go for a walk with you. Um, it's just like, why oh. are you walking for? I'm like, this, and I said, so this, this, this charity means so much to me that because, you know, what they do and, mm. you know, and, uh, and I said, and then the one thing led to another, I kind of disclosed my story about, you know, going public with my story and, um, I'm just not in a good place at the moment, but I will be because I'll get through this, you know, I'll get through this. So I started sharing a bit about my story and I remember her leaning over to me and just giving me the biggest, warmest hug. And she just kind of whispered in my ear saying, you're strong and just keep going. And I'm like, thank you. And then she actually shared herself that, you know, um, in the 1950s, she was in uh, foster care and her foster care actually um, abused, like sexually assaulted her as well. Um, and she's like, I've never actually told anybody that story before. Oh, wow. But seeing, seeing how much you're struggling, but seeing your willingness to kind of push forward mm. has given me the inspiration to tell my own kids about the story. Um, and I will. I will tell my kids about the story now. So thank you for, thank you for what you've done. And she's, she kind of said to me that every year she sees p- these people do these runs and she's always been curious about what it is, but she's never had the courage to even step foot outside her, her balcony to to watch mm. people run. And for some reason, this is the first year that she's actually done so. Um, and when she stopped, when she walked out of her balcony, I was just there at the right time. And we had this conversation by chance. And it's something that I think I always remember and something that I want to, I suppose, give the message to the national runners that there's going to be people out there that you will never speak to, but seeing them push themselves physically and mentally throughout the week is going to give them the strength to continue to fight their own kind of battles as well. And it's something that I thank every national runner and state runner for what they do because yeah, it's a running event, but it's so much more than a running event. Like it's so mm. much more than the running event. It's, it's, it's a forum for, for us to show other people that people are never alone and we're willing to kind of have a voice together and break that silence for people who aren't able to find their voice as well. So yeah, it's, it's, it's something that I always remember to be honest with yeah, you. Like that's it's, so good. And I would that's never such- meet, I would have never met her if I just ran, like if I yeah. was able to run. So it's something that I will always cherish yeah. i suppose and yeah like it's still yeah it's still a memory that i can kind of recall and i always i will always recall those running memories when i do run mm. so what i really find is funny is talking to you you always dismiss like these little interactions that you have and all that kind of stuff and that's like that's kind of what you do right you're like oh I, like i'm not doing much but in fact you are doing a lot for a lot of different people and Back at the beginning of uh, when you went public with your with your story, you, you were nervous about being vulnerable, and I think that's really important because here you are being vulnerable again, and it actually gave the courage to somebody else to share their story and to start their path of positivity with their kids and the whole conversation about child sexual abuse. So, like from what you were scared about, is actually one of your best assets that you are vulnerable. And you're being able to tell these people your story so that then they can feel they can be in that safe space, which is really, really good, Dave. It's really good. And I still struggle. Like, honestly, people, I think sometimes when um, I've told a couple of friends I'm doing this podcast and again, I feel comfortable with people kind of saying, "Um, you're strong. I am strong. So I must, I, I should give myself more credit. I am strong. I am positive. But I'm still, I'm still very vulnerable to what's happened as well. And I'm publicly open about that because... You're not strong all the time, but there are times where you can spiral, right? Like Yeah, and I do. And I, I honestly still continue to spiral here and there. But I've got... The difference now is I've got people that I can kind of speak to. And so I want people to know that, yeah, it's okay to be vulnerable. It's okay to cry. It's okay to have shit days. It's okay to not, not spiral to the point where it's kind of completely taken over your life again. But when that happens, like reach out, like reach out to people. Mm. Reach out to your family, reach out to your friends, reach out to brave hearts, you know, reach out to the other runners because it, it does happen. It's okay to cry. It's okay to, especially for men, it's okay for men to cry. And like you said, Mitch, we're doing, we're much better at accepting that. If that happens, I think as a friend and you know, someone who's gone through, you know, child sexual assault, like, don't just stop at, what are you doing, mate? Like, don't just stop at, like, are you okay? Because mm. that person who's asking that question inside, they're thinking to say, please ask me one more time. Don't just give mm. me the, are yep. you okay? Because I'd be like, yeah, I'm good. But if yeah. you ask me that question one more time, I would tell you honestly how I'm feeling. Yeah. Because it's an automatic response, right? Because yeah, you already mate. got the mask on. 
where you're trying to be positive, you're trying to be vibrant, you're trying to be all those different things. So it's an automatic response when someone's like, how are you going? You're like, yeah, good. I'm fine. Like, I've got this. And then like, no, how are you going? You're like, no good. Yeah. No I'm good. Shit, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You said men need to cry more. I, I was tearing up when you were telling that story, mate. <laughs> I will admit to that straight away. That, that yeah. got me. That got me in the, in the feels. But, um, no, that's awesome. David, oh, David, I've had an absolute, yeah, yeah, it's an honor to speak to you, mate. And I really appreciate you opening up like you have. I've, None of this is easy to talk about and it's very personal too. So really appreciate it. What's really great is the significance of, of Bravehearts. Um, and you mentioned that the 777 a lot as well. Have you used any of the Bravehearts resources for I actually yourself? Have, yeah, I actually caught them. Uh, I think it was during COVID. I think it was during COVID and obviously everyone was in isolation. And I was like... Hey, let's call that number. So I spoke to one of the counselors. Um, so I just wasn't in a good place, I suppose. So I spoke to him a couple of times and then booked myself into therapy again after that. But I actually have used it, which is quite funny because I was like, I do this fundraising for them. Let's just see how the services are. It was, they were amazing. They were amazing service. So, um, yeah, actually Sounds like an awesome stopgap for you too until you could see your therapist to kind of chat to someone. Yeah, and- yeah, yeah. So it's kind of like, yeah, so I have. Like they're, they're, I, I would forever give him any time of the day to help them out any way I can. So I'll, cu- I'll come back as a national runner one day, but... Um, oh, it's on record. Yeah. Love it. <laughs> I, I tell Jess that because she'll make me do it. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah, absolutely. From what I know, you still kind of help out in Canberra and Sydney at a, in a volunteer role around the triple seven. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah. So I think last year they, they kind of, they used to fly to Canberra and I was like, I can drive a couple of people. So, cause you know, I'm, I'm going down anyway. So I think the plan this year, I, I mean, realistically he runs 42 K. So I'm hoping to run at least half a marathon for Sydney and I'll pick up some of the support crew and we'll get down to Canberra a bit earlier. Yeah, do all the behind the scenes stuff. Last year, I think I was helping at least with like just shopping for the crew and you know getting the breakfasts ready and all the stuff that was just magically pops up when you're a national runner. Like, it's like, oh, where did my breakfast come from? So it was always it's nice to kind of do that, and so it's always nice to kind of see the brave house and the aura kind of crew, and um, it's good to catch up with them because we only see each other yeah a few times a year, but the respect and love for them that I have for them is just completely out of this world. So. It's always good to kind of catch up with, with that family, yeah. Yeah, that's awesome. Right, so we we have one last question. But before that, I just wanted to check if there's anything you wanted to say that I might have missed or that we haven't spoken about. Yeah, this would be the perfect place to, to say something. I, I spent 30 years being ashamed of my past and just feeling very angry at the guy that abused me. For most of my life, I've blamed myself for my abuse and every time I failed at something, I would often say to myself that I was never good enough or worthy enough to be happy or succeed in life. It's time survivors change the narrative and say to ourselves, it's not our fault and place that blame solely on the person that abused us. I, I recently realized that despite all that I've achieved in life, I didn't do it for myself, but I did it to prove my abuser that I was strong, happy, worthy, and my pursuit for happiness was to get back at my abuser. I was recently chatting to a friend and they asked me to think about this statement. She said to me, I don't need to prove myself to my abuser anymore. I realized that my abuser and my past still controlled the person I wanted to be and become. Everything that I've achieved in life thus far is because I've worked hard for it and never gave up on my goals. I've been resilient and despite my critic and victim always trying to bring me down, I've become more resilient, more stronger, and I'll always face my fears head on despite how vulnerable it makes me feel. Remember, vulnerability is being strong. And on the other side of suffering is greatness. Before saying that, my new model in life is that I control my life now. I control my happiness because I don't need to prove myself to my abuser anymore. It's time I break up with my abuser. Um, to my fellow survivors, it was never your fault. You are worthy and I believe you. To the survivors that have yet to find their voices, I hope you start taking the steps to heal and break free. Together we are strong. And together, our voices will be heard. To my seven-year-old self, little Dave, I hear you, I see you, and I believe you. I'm so proud of you. You'll always be with me, and I'll always love and protect you. Wow, David, that is such a powerful statement. And 
I'm so, just from having the conversation with you today, I'm so glad that that's where you're at. It is, you're such a great guy. You've so open and honest about your whole experience, your whole life in general and the impact this has had on you. And it's just testament to yourself of how far you've come. And it's, yeah, absolute legend, mate. I've really enjoyed our conversation and I just, I'm so stoked that that's the that's kind of where you're at in life today, which is with your support network around you. It's, yeah, it's so good to see, mate. So good to see. Right. How would you describe the triple seven event in one word, mate? Yeah, it's, it's a hard question. I think, I think for me, I think the word that always comes up is just courage, like just courage, yep. um, courage for survivors to speak up, courage for the runners to just doing what they do. Yeah, so courage. I think um, when I remember kind of when I did the, the, the Bravehearts and I, I was lucky enough to do it the same year that um, Haley Johnson's daughter, Kayleen, did it as well. And I had a few chats to, to Haley Johnson about the, the run and she was just, just saying to me, just remember every step you take takes courage. And I'm like, thank you. Like, yeah, so I had to kind of class it on my running jersey. Remember that. So That's awesome. Yeah, so I, I would say courage. Mm. Courage to have the conversation, courage to to do to put yourself out there, courage to survive. It's just it's just yeah, it's a, yeah. And just yeah, I think even even for yourself, Mitch, like I I I know I kind of said it before, but yeah, thank you for having the courage yourself to to ask me questions about it because there's nothing you can ask to make it worse. Like we've already experienced what we've experienced by asking questions to like, you know, to survivors and to people who are going through this, basically gives them a license to be able to talk about it. And that is such a powerful tool to have, just to have a conversation. So thank you for having this conversation with me. Thank you for you know sharing this conversation with other people. And hopefully that kind of gives some hope and inspiration for other people to you know, think about that. You're actually not alone. You actually have people out there that can are willing to listen and, and will listen and come down for a run in Sydney or Canberra or something. It's, it's such a great, it's such a great time. Such a powerful story and a great glimpse into the amount of work David has put in of recent times to take control back. After my chat with Dave, I'm continually thinking about his story, his courage, his strength, and found myself drawing inspiration in every circumstance. Now, I did want to mention that this is David's story. There are many others that may be similar and also many that are not. There will also be many victims and survivors that will be dealing with their own story very differently, which is absolutely fine. The key is to find what suits you and helps you to live your best life. David has found his group of supportive friends and family and is continually looking to reflect and build on the version he presented to the world yesterday. If this conversation did bring up any feelings, thoughts or emotions, I would like to remind you that Braveheart services are available and I hope that you seek those services as this podcast not produced to impede recovery but to empower. I would like to thank David and his family for letting me into his personal life. It is not easy talking to a stranger about your life with so many twists and turns but David held himself with dignity, courage and throughout was extremely honest and open in order to convey his journey. Thank you to all the listeners of this podcast for the series. It has been an absolute blast speaking to all you lovely, lovely people and everyone that's been involved. I cannot wait to follow your 777 journey for many, many years to come. But let's focus on the upcoming 777. I hope you guys just keep being supportive, compassionate and a tight-knit family that the National Runners and the Braveheart 777 event is and always will be. It is such a unique group, such a unique environment and such a unique sense of belonging and safe space for everyone. It is a remarkable thing that all of you have created. So please keep doing the good work, keep being yourselves and keep being confident in the people you are today. I'm Mitch Craig, and this is the Bravehearts 777 Podcast, Australia's mightiest running challenge. Thank you for listening to a private Tribute Pod production podcast. Distribution and content approval of this podcast is solely with the customer with no liability to Tribute Pod. For more information regarding privacy, terms and conditions, or to arrange further podcasts, please head to our website, www.tributepod.com.au. Feel free to give us a like or share on our socials if you enjoyed this dedication. A Tribute Pod production.